You're listening to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Uh, we're going to get in the Word, but we're going to do our, our four prayer points first. Just take a minute and just be still before the Lord. One, pray that God speaks to you individually. What is it that God has for you this morning from His Word? Uh, pray that you would hear that. Two, pray for those that are with you, beside you, in front of you, behind you. Pray for those online watching, out in the cafe watching. Um, pray that God would speak to them as well. And pray for those that maybe don't have a relationship with the Lord that are seeking him, or they, they don't know that they're seeking him, they know that there's a void. So pray that God would minister to them if, um, in, intentionally and that they would respond. And then fourth, pray for me. Pray that God would speak to me and through me that I would be obedient to what it is he's put on my heart for this morning, um, but that he would also bring direction and correction in my life. Amen? So let's pray. We're going to take a minute, just kind of silence, and uh, you guys pray, and then I'll, I'll, I'll come in and pray over us. Father, your word says to be still and know that you are God. And Lord, as we pause this morning and we are in your presence and we are seeking your word, we're asking that you would speak to us. Speak to us individually at that point of need. God, you know where every person is that's hearing this message this morning. Meet them at their point of need. Father, speak to us corporately as a church. Bring unity and direction that we may glorify you as a church. Lord, let your word, let the gospel message be heard by those that maybe don't have a relationship with you. Lord, draw them into that relationship, into your kingdom for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, I also pray that you speak to me and through me. Lord, bring direction and correction in my life. And Lord, let me be obedient to what you have spoken to me this week for this morning. And we surrender it all to you. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Remember, as we study the book of Revelation, we're doing so to receive the whole counsel of God's word. Beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation is God's word, is truth. We study book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, not dismissing anything, but taking the whole counsel of God's word. We're letting Scripture interpret Scripture. I would encourage you to not get distracted by what's happening around you in our world. You know, we have the elections coming up next week. Don't be distracted. Stay focused on God. There are even events happening around the world that look to line up with with the rapture of the church. Don't get distracted. It's okay to know those things, but, but don't get distracted from God's word and what God is doing in and through his word and what he's doing in and through you. Stay focused on proclaiming the truth and hope of the gospel. Don't get hung up on every conspiracy theory that's out there. 
And this is the only thing that I'll say about this this morning, but if you have not already voted, vote. We have freedom to do so in our country, right? So use that freedom. Make sure that you pray and, and listen to the Lord. Vote in a way that, that would continue the freedoms we have to worship and in a way that would cherish and save babies' lives. That's all I'll say about that. Pray and go vote. Amen? Amen. Ties right in with our lives. It ties right with, in with even us studying on a Sunday morning. Why are we studying this book of all books? Is it so that we can predict the timing of the rapture and the, of the Lord's return? Or a detailed schedule of events that we can set our watch by? Maybe even go out and get a nice billboard and say, Jesus is coming on December 12th. I don't know. And, and I'm not saying he's coming on the 12th, so don't misconstrue that. <laughs> but are we studying God's word so, so we can try to predict what is happening we have to remember, always remember Jesus' words in Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. All we're to do is be ready. We're to occupy until his return, which means we're to engage in our faith, not, at sit, not sitting at home on the couch waiting for his return, or some of you may be sitting on the roof in the lawn chair, so you're a little bit closer. We're to engage the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ, hope eternal. It's not a book of gloom and doom, although as, as we continue to read and study, there's some, some pretty scary and ugly stuff in there, but it is a book of hope. It's written to give us hope of, of the fulfilled promises of God, of a new heaven and earth that awaits us. And as we study this book, we've got to stay on point with what Jesus is saying. We look for the application for us today. But as we do that, we have to remember that this was written to the seven churches. And within that, there's a theme of blessing attached to it. Revelation 3.1, blessed is he who reads, those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. As we're here on this planet for a reason and a purpose, it's not just to be a warm body warming a seat, or fulfilling uh, your own dreams or goals, we're here because God has a purpose and plan for us. We were here uh, when COVID hit and, and all of that mess happened, a pandemic happened. We were here for a reason, that, that we would be shook. It shook us. But that we would rise up with our eyes fixed on God and not be distracted by what's happening in the world. Our main text this morning is Revelation 3, 14 through 22, and simply the title, A Message to Laodicea. This is Jesus' letter to the church in Laodicea to the lukewarm church. How many of you would like to be referred to as that? I don't think so. So the character of Laodicea, the first part of verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, See, Laodicea was a wealthy city. It held great importance. It had a very large Jewish population. In each of the cities we, we've studied, there's always been a center of worship for Caesar. Laodicea also had a very famous temple to Asclepios, the god of medicine. And an even more famous medical school was attached to that temple. An interesting fact of the wealth of this city is that in 60 AD, there was an incredibly devastating earthquake in the city and the surrounding area but they refused help from the government to rebuild. 
Their attitude was one of self-reliance. They, they used their own resources to rebuild. And great pride and self-sufficiency. Barclay said that Laodicea was too rich to accept help from anyone. Tacitus, the Roman historian, tells us that Laodicea rose from the ruins by the strength of their own resources and no help from us. They didn't need outside help. They didn't ask for it and they didn't want it. Laodicea was also a center for commerce and manufacturing. Some of the products that they manufactured were shipped around the world. They had great financial wealth and a broad textile industry. On the medical side, they made a eye salve that, that was very successful in bringing healing to the eye. That was also shipped worldwide. But a bigger issue that they had, a struggle that they had, is they had poor water supply. They didn't have enough fresh water springs within the city to sustain them. So they made aqueducts. And those went to the hot springs. Their main water supply came through a six-mile aqueduct from the hot springs in Heropolis. Because the water came from the hot springs, it arrived unappetizingly lukewarm and stunk of sulfur and minerals. Anybody been to Glenwood Springs or to the hot springs? Just love that smell of sulfur, don't you? This sulfur right there and you're, yeah, no. But that's what they had and that's what they were drinking. So leaders knew and understood that this would make them very vulnerable. They were vulnerable to attack because a surrounding army would just cut off the water supply and bring them to their knees. So the leaders of Laodicea were very accommodating to any potential enemy, always accommodating and negotiating and compromising and instead of fighting. The last thing to point out with, within Laodicea is the Apostle Paul mentioned them a, a couple times, not in a good way. You can read about that, that in Colossians 2, 1 and 4, 16. Within that, as we look at that first part of it and see their pride and their independence, I would ask you the same thing. How is your pride? Is it in check? How's your attitude? Do you think that if you go through something that you could rebuild or sustain yourself on your own without the help of the Lord? Anyone voluntarily say that? No, I got this, God. You just wait over there. I'll be back with you in a minute. We don't do that, do we? My prayer is that you're living a life in humility and surrender to the Lord, that you're leaning on him in the good times and in the hard times. Jesus then describes himself to the church, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. The amen, so be it, it is done. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for as many as are promises of God, in him they are yes, therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. So be it. It is done. Barclay said that Jesus is the personification and the affirmation of the truth of God. The faithful and true witness. Jesus is firm. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. This is Jesus. And, and this was in contrast to the Laodiceans who will be shown to be neither faithful nor true. They were not trustworthy the beginning of the creation of God. The idea behind the word beginning is that of a, of a ruler, source, or origin, not a first in a sequential order. This verse does not teach that Jesus was the first being created, but that he is the ruler, the source, the origin of all creation. 
It's the idea of first in prominence more than first in sequence. History. History as we know it is literally his story. Jesus' interaction with us from the very beginning of time. I would ask you if you know Jesus in that manner. Do do you have a proper perspective of who Jesus is? And I I exhort you to study through the book of John again if you're not sure, and maybe even if you are sure, the book of John is a great resource to go to to look at his story. And then we get to the heavy part. We hear what Jesus knows about the church of Laodicea in verses 15 and 16. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This gets very pointed. So you have to stay with me, right? Don't don't get lost. Um, Stay focused. And this is a perfect visual for Christians in Laodicea. They they drank water from the aqueduct and the beginning of the source of the water was hot, but by the time it got to them, it was lukewarm. Basically, Jesus is saying to Laodicea, the the disgusting, lukewarm water that you're drinking, it's just like you. Neither hot nor cold. The spiritual implication of lukewarm is one of indifference and compromise. Playing in the middle. Too hot to be cold and too cold to be hot. They're they're trying to be two things, both things, and, and they end up being nothing. You see, being a Christian is a lifestyle choice. It should change everything about us. With their lifestyle choice, they can indeed expect to hear the words, I will spit you out of my mouth. The word spit here is actually vomit, to spew. Whenever I read this verse, I think of my own kids as teenagers. Um, Brandon, as a teenager, no, you guys know Brandon, most of you do, is little bit bigger than me and that boy could eat spaghetti one night he got sick you ever seen spaghetti stick to a wall a little bit of projectile vomiting happened there it hit the wall with force or my daughter Abby had all this salmon from our missions trip in Alaska and we come back and she didn't like salmon and I said no you have to eat that and she's like God I'm not feeling good I'm like no you're gonna eat all the salmon don't waste that she did I regretted it. How's that for a word picture? That's the implication here. He was going to spew them out of his mouth. What is it that Jesus is saying here? That the the Christians were cold but warmed up with being religious? Or that they were hot and then they cooled down by being apathetic and taking things into their own hands and becoming self-reliant? It could be both, but the emphasis here is on the last one. Empty religion. Empty religion is a curse, one that forces you to work for salvation. Who is harder to reach with the gospel? Those who think that they have just enough Jesus to make it to heaven? The church of Laodicea exemplifies empty religion. You see, it was easier for the tax collectors and the harlots to to hear about Jesus. They were more open to hear about Jesus than the scribes and the Pharisees who actually knew God's word. And Satan will have us any way that he can, but he prizes lukewarm religionists far above the cold-hearted sinner. 
you should grab a copy of Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis if you haven't or if you haven't read it. It's the subtle thoughts that we entertain that eventually pull out the passion and fire of your faith. That heat and that hotness that you have for God, that zeal. It's those attacks of the enemy that waters it down so you become lukewarm. It's when we do not resist the devil, maybe even inviting him to the table with you to have a meal in a space that was intended for you and the Lord to be, you invited the enemy in. I would ask you this morning, why do you come to church? Why are you here this morning? Why do you read the Bible? Or, or maybe even why do you serve in the church? Is it, is it to know God more and to be known by him? Or are you working your way to heaven? making sure that you're doing enough good works to get there. You see, the reality is that we are saved by grace. There's nothing else you can do about it. Nothing that you and I can do. He then says, I wish you were cold or hot. What Jesus wanted to change in them and in us is, as much as anything is that deceptive playing of the middle, trying to please both the world and Jesus. This example was set for me by my dad. Just for the record, not Doyle, my stepfather, so don't go out and chastise him when you see him, but my dad. He lived very well with one foot in the world and very well in his three-piece suit for Sunday morning for church. And that's what I learned. And it was that thought uh, that, that taught me how to do the same thing and almost destroyed my marriage. You see, we can't live in this self-imposed gray area or sit on the fence. Individually or as a husband and wife, we, we have to either be in or out. You see, I used to think there was this gray area as a Christian. If I just stay in the gray, I'm good. And unfortunately, many Christians think that there's a gray area as well. The reality is, is that it's black and white. There is no gray. You're either hot or you're cold. So I would tell you this morning, I would give you that exhortation to say, if you're doing something that you think could be considered a gray area, it's probably black. You shouldn't do it. Weigh it against scripture and pray. If it doesn't glorify God, don't do it. Stop it. Let the Holy Spirit direct you. Make sure that God is speaking to you and through you, that it's not your flesh. You see, if we are lukewarm, we are useless in fulfilling God's will. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to be useless in sharing the gospel message and bringing hope. Morris says that hot water heals. Cold water, ah, cold water, refreshes. But lukewarm water is useless for either purpose. It's as if Jesus said to them, if you are hot or cold, I could do something with you. But because you're neither of those, I will do nothing. The lukewarm Christian has enough Jesus to satisfy, satisfy a craving for religion, but not enough for eternal life. Remember the thief on the cross? He was cold toward Jesus, but he saw. And Jesus saw him and saw his need and and. And that thief on the cross cried out. And Jesus said, oh, don't worry. Today you'll be with me in paradise. The apostle John was hot towards Jesus. He, he enjoyed 
that relationship with him. There was love there. Judas was lukewarm. Judas followed Jesus just enough to be considered a disciple, yet not giving his heart to Jesus in fullness. And deep down, there is no one more miserable than a lukewarm Christian. They have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus and too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. However, how could Jesus say, I wish that you were cold? His deepest desire is that we're hot, that we have zealousness, that we have zeal for God. He wants us to be on fire for him. In verse 19 of our passage, Jesus uses the word zealous for the same word hot. Yet if they would not be hot, Jesus preferred that they would be cold rather than lukewarm. Barnhouse says, that, so the Lord is saying, if instead of being lukewarm, you were so cold that you should feel that coldness, and then that very feeling of your need might drive you to true warmth. But instead you are lukewarm. You have just enough to protect yourself against the feeling of a need. You see, we try to do religion instead of relationship. How about lukewarm prayer? Such prayers mock God. Spurgeon said, Oh, my brethren and sisters, have you really thought about what an insult it is to God when we come before him with lukewarm prayers? There stands the heavenly mercy seat. The road to it is sprinkled with the precious blood of Jesus, yet we come to it with hearts that are cold, or we approach it leaving our hearts behind us. We kneel in the attitude of prayer, yet we do not pray. We, we prattle out certain words, we express thoughts, which are not our real desires. We feign wants that we do not feel. Do we not thus degrade the mercy seat? We make it as it were a common lounging place rather than an awful wrestling place once besprinkled with blood and often to be besprinkled with the sweat of our fervent supplication. I love that expression. Prayer is an awful wrestling place. It doesn't make you sound like you just want to spend some time in prayer. But prayer should be that place that we go to discuss it with God, to talk about life, the struggles. Yes, to praise him, to honor him, to glorify him, to pray for others, but to also have those meaningful conversations. God, I don't understand why this is happening. King David did that all the time, didn't he? Shaking his fist at God. God, why did you turn me over to my enemies? What is going on? But then he would always come back around but I know and understand you're God and you have a purpose and a plan in this and for me. It's where we should have passionate discussions and pleading with our Lord is within prayer time. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. 
And we have lukewarm Christians. Lukewarm Christians live in such a way that, that they turn people away from Jesus. You've, you've probably seen it and experienced it. Or someone who kind of says they're a Christian, but then they're living in the world, and that person that's not saved sees them and says, yep, I don't want anything to do with that. And we even have lukewarm teachers. They live in such a way that they lead people away from Jesus, and woe to those teachers that lead people away from God. Spurgeon says, I pray that you either give up your profession or be true to it. If you really are God's people, then serve him with all your might. If it be Baal that is your God, then serve him. If flesh is worth pleasing, then serve the flesh. But if God is the Lord and needs to be paramount, then cleave to him. See, as a teacher, you've got to be all in. You've got to grab a hold of him completely. The name Laodicea means rule of the people. This church was operating under a mob or majority rule mentality. And we all have human nature. That, that's what we have. That's how we operate, right? Human nature. Without Christ, that human nature, what comes out of it is that hidden and sinful nature. That hidden and sinful nature then begins to run free. But we can't use that as an excuse. Cold water may make you shiver and hot water can cause pain, but lukewarm water is very comfortable, isn't it? You like to get into a warm bath. You don't want it to be too hot or too cold. You want to get in that hot tub? You'd like it to be a little bit warmer. But you adjust it for your comfort, don't you? We all like comfort. And the world and our flesh wants to be at peace. It wants to be comfortable, which becomes very deceptive. The world that we live in is at peace with a lukewarm church. That church becomes pleased with itself. We have many churches, especially over the last two or three years, that have become lukewarm, that have put up certain flags and banners over the front of their doors that are not staying true to God's word. They've become very comfortable with the world and with the society around us, very pleased with themselves. That doesn't mean that we go looking for trouble or we don't speak up when something is directly against God's word, but we must do so in love and with the truth of God's word being led by the Holy Spirit. And so there's those times where we are to speak and to stand up, and there's those times where we're to be silent. So we need the Holy Spirit's prompting that we may do it according to his will and his direction. Spurgeon had a, sub, a sermon on this subject called An Earnest Warning Against Lukewarmness. And I wrote down a few of the pointed statements from that message of those who are lukewarm and don't take it personal, just hear him out. He says they have prayer meetings, but there are a few present, for they like quiet evenings at home. When more attend meetings, they're still very dull, for they do their praying very deliberately and are afraid to get too excited. They are neither hot for the truth nor hot for conversions, not hot for holiness. They're not fiery enough to burn the stable of sin or zealous enough to make Satan angry nor fervent enough to make a living sacrifice of themselves upon the altar of God. They are neither hot nor cold. Neither hot nor cold. The Lord says the same thing about his people. If you're hot, I can use you. If you're cold, I can deal with you. But if you're lukewarm, you'll either neither be hot enough to use or cold enough to correct and in that, that's where Jesus says to them, I will spit you out 
of my mouth or I will spew or vomit you out of my mouth. Well, how are the churches in the mouth of Jesus? They're in his mouth because as the church, we spread the word. You are the body of Christ. You are the church. He he is in our mouth by the fact that we proclaim the gospel message with our lips. We're also in his mouth because he prays constantly for us. Remember, he's our priest. As we pray, he takes our request to the Father continually. He's covering you. He's listening to you. He's going to the Father on your behalf. So what a terrible thing in either of those ways to be expelled out of the mouth of Jesus. That's heavy, isn't it? I would say we pause. We begin to search our heart. I would ask you a hard question. Uh, Are you so hot that you can be used? Or are you cold that you can be drawn into his presence? Or are you lukewarm sitting in that gray area, sitting on the fence. You have to remember, and I have to remember the same thing. Once we hear God's word, we are responsible for what we do with it. That's on us. We're responsible to be obedient. We're responsible if we disregard it outright. You and I have free will. The choice is ours to make. Continue with what Jesus said against the church of Laodicea in verse 17. It's because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need for nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This shows the depth of the heart condition of the church. The church at Laodicea lacked a sense of spiritual poverty. They looked at their spiritual condition and said, we are rich. Then they looked again and said, we're wealthy. The third time, we have need of nothing. They were the opposite of blessed are the poor in spirit that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 5, verse 3. Newell points out that the Laodiceans put their trust in their material prosperity, outward luxury, their physical health. They felt like they didn't need anything. They had a loss of, of sense of need as the drowsiness that besets a freezing man becomes fatal. They're just like the people in our state, in our city, maybe even some within this room. The cause of Christ has been hurt more by a Sunday morning bench warmers who pretend to love Christ. That is those who call him Lord, but do not follow his commands. They do more harm than the publicans and the sinners. This church was spiritually poor, but they didn't know it. They didn't know that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They didn't see it. It wasn't that the church of Laodicea wasn't spiritually poor. They were, but they were blind to it. Jesus looked at their spiritual condition and simply said, wretched, miserable, poor, blind. Then he looked again and saw that they were spiritually naked. The city of Laodicea, famous for its wealth, but the Christians of the city were a spiritual mess. Laodicea, famous for its healing eye salve, but the Christians of the city were spiritually blind. Laodicea, famous for fine clothing, but the Christians of the city were spiritually naked. And the contrasts are powerful. The contrast between what they think they are and what they really are. The contrast between what they see and what Jesus sees. The contrast between wealth and affluence and their own spiritual bankruptcy. 
when Jesus saw, what Jesus saw in them was more important than how they saw themselves. You remember in the church of Smyrna, they thought they were poor, but Jesus reminded them that they, actually they were spiritually rich. The church of the Laodiceans believed that they're rich. And Jesus points out that they're actually very poor. Wolverd says the Laodiceans are typically typical of the modern world, which reveals that in which the natural eye can see, but is untouched by the gospel and does not see beyond the veil of material to the unseen, to the real eternal spiritual riches. A question for you is, is a hard one. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? As you look at your life, as you evaluate it, are you genuinely looking to see, okay, God, where am I with you? Where am I in my faith? It's where we turn to Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. There's a prayer there that we should pray every day. Basically, search me, O God. Know my heart. If there's anything in my life that does not honor you and glorify you, help me to see it and help me to change it. Help me to glorify you. See, I pray that prayer often. God, is there anything there? I listened to a message on the way to the pastor's breakfast last Friday and it was on forgiveness. And I'm just, it was a good message. It was a good reminder. I don't feel like I have anything against anybody. And I'm, I listened to the message and I shut it off and I'm just kind of praying the rest of the way. And it's this prayer, Lord, is there anything in me that, is there somebody I haven't forgiven? Is there some animosity that I need to take care of? And God brought three names to my mind. Oh, wait, Really? Lord, is there anything in me that needs to be taken care of? Let me surrender it to you. Now, I'm, I'm excited to see, okay, what is God going to do in each of these situations as I reach out? Or Psalms 51, 10 through 13, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. And I'll teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. See, that's my prayer every Sunday morning. That should be your prayer every day. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew me. My prayer is that when we see that that is in us, those things of this world, that we would take care of it immediately. Again, if it doesn't glorify God, don't do it. Get rid of it. No hesitation. See, that's the problem. We hear it. Okay, God, you're telling me I need to stop this thing already, and then it's time to do it. And like, eh, you know, maybe next week. And we do it now without hesitation. And guys, this is a daily thing, not just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. We lay those things down for the Lord all the time, don't we? Okay, Lord, I hear what you're saying. I'm laying this down before you right now. I'm I don't want anything to do with that. And then maybe we're okay for a little bit and then we go pick it back up, don't we? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to lay that down. And we do it. But you keep doing that daily. Lay it down before the Lord and watch the distance from the time where you don't go back and pick it up anymore. Okay, God, you've got that. I don't need to carry it anymore. Don't allow yourself to become lukewarm. So then what does Jesus want them to do? Verses 18 through 20. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may become rich. White garments so you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see 
to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The charge in the Laodiceans had begun with understanding. They had to understand their own spiritual poverty first. As long as we believe that we can meet the need for wealth and clothing or sight for ourselves, we can never receive from Jesus. He supplies what we need. We must seek those things from Jesus instead of relying on them ourselves. If they received from Jesus his riches, his gold, beautifully refined in the fire, then they may be rich. If they receive from Jesus pure and righteous covering that, that he gives, then they would be clothed, and no longer would they have shame of nakedness. The merchants of Laodicea were famous for a glossy black wool that they made beautiful garments of. Jesus said, I know the beautiful black clothing that the world can clothe you in, but I have white garments that you can be clothed in. If they receive from Jesus the healing of their spiritual sight, they would be able to see. And how can we buy these things from Jesus? Isn't that what we want to do? Oh, you, want, you have these things from me. Okay, I'd like to purchase them. We can't. We don't earn them through any of our good works. Instead, Jesus would say, all this self-sufficiency must be expended in the labor of getting them from me. These absolute necessities grace and mercy that he extends it's greater than anything we can understand anything we can imagine in verse 19 he says those whom i love i reprove and i discipline how many of you like to get a spanking when you were a kid i know we don't spank anymore do we oh nobody liked to get the spanking okay how many of you like to be disciplined if anyway like time out right that's our thing that right you go sit in time out i would like to go in time out <laughs> Can I just, I, you know. With such a sharp rebuke, had Jesus lost his love for this errant church? No, not at all. Jesus' great love was expressed in his rebuke. Barclay said, it is in fact God's final punishment to leave a man alone. And if God's not disciplining you, that's when you start to worry that separation that's there. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be left without God at any point in time. Jesus gave us a glimpse of that on the cross, didn't he? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't want to know what that's like at all. I don't want even a glimpse of that. Love here is not agape, but filio. Jesus' heart to this church is even though I rebuke you and I chasten you, I am still your friend. I love you deeply as my friend. This church, it was at the bottom of the barrel, yet Jesus still loved them. That's something you have to know and understand and hear today. It doesn't matter where you are in life. Jesus still loves you unconditionally. And he has a purpose for your life. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He commanded them to make a decision to repent and to continue in zeal. Turn your way, Jesus said. Don't look for your own riches and resources because they're really bankrupt. Turn around and look at me. And that's that aspect of, of repent, about face. Turn away from that sin. Turn away from that mess that you've been in. Ask for forgiveness 
and start walking in the direction God wants you to walk. The ancient Greek word zealous comes from the same word as hot earlier in our passage. Jesus detested their lukewarmness. He would really rather them be hot with zeal than cold. Spurgeon said that when you and I shall be stretched upon our dying bed, I think we shall have to, to regret above anything else our coldness of heart. Among the many sins, perhaps this will lie the heaviest upon our heart and conscience. I did not live as I ought to have done. I was not as earnest as my Lord's cause as I should have been. Then our cold sermons like sheeted ghosts march before our eyes in dread array. Then will our neglected days start up, each one seeming to wave its hair as though it were one of the seven furies, and to look right in our hearts and make our very own blood curdle in our veins. That was Charles Spurgeon, an amazing preacher. And that's what he had to say about it. How much more for all of us? We need to make our life following Jesus not just a hobby, not just an occasional activity. It can't just be Sunday morning. It's our lifestyle. It's our restored relationship with God that should invade every area of our being. Every nook and every cranny should be full of God. But we get so distracted so easily, don't we? We get so tired and want something else to change. Oh, I need to change something just for the sake of change. This is boring. No, press into God. Continue in your faith. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus gave this lukewarm uh, church a great invitation. He knocked at the door, asking entry to come in and dine with them uh, in the sense of sharing a warm and, and intimate time. It only happens as we respond to his knock, but the promise is made to all. If anyone hears my voice, he will come in. The idea of Jesus at the door applies to the sinner and the saint just the same. Jesus wants to come into our lives. He wants to come in and dine with us. That, that sense of having a deep, meaningful relationship. I stand at the door. Sadly, Jesus stood on the outside knocking to get in. If the church in Philadelphia was the church of the open door, the church of Laodicea was the church of the closed door or excluded Jesus. The statement that Jesus expressed a, a profound mystery. Why did Jesus stand outside the door? Why did he knock? Why did he wait until someone opens the door? He had every right to break the door down or, or enter in some other way of his accord. He could have walked through the door or just appeared on the other side, but he didn't. The sovereign and omnipotent Jesus lowered himself to work out his eternal plan by wooing the cooperation of the human heart. You see, you and I have a choice. We can open the door... We can repent from our sins, from our pride, our self-sufficiency, our human wisdom, or our lukewarm cowardice. Or we can keep the door shut. Jesus waits patiently. The Holy Spirit walks alongside the unbeliever, drawing them to the Lord. He gives opportunity. He judges. He extends mercy. He brings correction. He brings exhortation. He induces sinners to repent and turn to himself. He lifts his voice, calling loudly through his word, yet will we hear his voice? When we pray that at the beginning of the service, Lord, would you speak to me through your word? Are we truly ready to hear what he is saying? Will we be obedient 
The, the key to opening the door is to first hear his voice. And we give attention to what Jesus says, that we, we can be rescued from our own lukewarmness and we can enter into a, a zealous relationship with him. When we open the door, he says, I will come into him. That's an amazing promise. If we open the door, he will come in. He's not going to ring the door and take off down the street. He promised to come in and dine with the believer. Supper. Depnon was the Greek word. It was the main meal of the day. This meal was a time which a man sat. He had a long conversation. For now there was time. Work was ended. It was not just a mere uh, courtesy visit. Not a jalapeno cheddar brought for the road. It was a meal that they sat together with. He desires to come and sit long with us, to wait with us as long as we wish him to wait. You know, our, our best times of fellowship here at the church are when we have a meal, right? We spell fellowship, F-O-O-D, right? Think about that in your own households, in your own families, when you guys sit around the table. If you're sitting out in the living room at a TV tray stop, go back to the, to the kitchen table, the dining room table. Have a meal together. Enjoy that intimacy together in conversation. He desires to come and sit with us and wait as long as we want him to. We have to understand that rebuke and chastisement are not signs of rejection from Christ, but of his abiding and pleading love, even to those who are lukewarm and careless. And notice that Jesus gave the call to individuals. He didn't say, if any church opens the door, but he said, if anyone Remember the church, that's us, the body of Christ. That's each of us in this room. We are the church. It's you and I. We must not talk about setting the church right. We must pray for grace for each person. The text doesn't say if the church will open the door, but if any man hears my voice and opens the door, it must be done by individuals, men and women, opening the door, inviting him in. That's what brings that change. The church will only get right by each man and woman individually getting right first. That's how we make an impact in our families. That's how we make an impact in our community. In verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I have also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. You see, Jesus makes a promise to the overcomer. Even in Laodicea, it showed that we don't have to be Christians who are compromising and lukewarm. If we are, we can change and we can become Jesus's overcomers. Those who overcome the battle against indifference and compromise and self-reliance will receive a special reward. They will enjoy a place with the enthroned Jesus who overcame and sat down with his father. This is powerful. This gives us hope. We can overcome. We don't have to stay where we are. This is the worst of the seven churches, yet the most eminent of all promises are made, showing that, that the worst of the worst may still repent. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. God will take you right where you're at. Jesus is ready. All you have to do is open that door. The closing is like the rest of the letters in verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Few want to identify themselves with the church of Laodicea. We would rather identify ourselves with the church of Philadelphia. We're the good church. We're the praying church. We're engaged. We must hear what the Holy Spirit says here because he speaks to the churches including us. 
May God deliver us from self-reliance and compromising lukewarmness that marked the church of the Laodiceans. And I don't know about you. I don't want to just be alive. I want to live. I want to live with, with the passion and zeal that God has for us to engage. You've heard it talked about within diets, right? Are you living to eat or eating to live? I want to be alive in Christ. I want to pursue him. It's so easy for us to become lukewarm. I'll be honest with you, which is always good to hear from the pastor, right? The last 10 months battling with Pam's health. There's times where I've been hot and on point with God right there. There's times where I've struggled and I've been cold. I've been lukewarm, beaten, battle-weary, even some very, very dark times in the last 10 months. But God, but God, we have to change our perspective and stay focused and not be distracted by the circumstances. We gotta see that, that God is working in and through all of our life circumstances. He's right there with us every step of the way. We have hope and peace in our walk with him, even if the circumstances don't change. He's right there. And God had shown me a little bit more of Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 as I was reading this week. And I always quote it um, because we don't know what God is thinking and doing and, and we don't understand, but, but there's more. Verses 8, and 8 through 13, I'm just going to read a couple of them. But verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. And skipping down to verse 11, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth it will not return empty without accomplishing what I desire without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it God's word will not return void what are you saturating yourself with it should be God's word because when we get in those times where we could easily slip down into being lukewarm God will use his word to pull us back up bring us that zeal a few weeks ago, just in the word still, pressing through stuff, all of a sudden I felt that oppression lift. Oh, I could breathe again. Okay, God, here we go. Where are we at? What do we need to do? Eyes on him. We may not know what he's thinking, but we can trust in him that he is faithful and his word is true and it brings health and strength to us. I was putting the message together and I heard one of Casting Crown songs came on and um, I think it's called, it starts right here. And he it says, we want our coffee in the lobby. We want our worship on the screen. We got a rock star preacher who won't wake us from our dreams. We want our blessings in our pocket. We keep our missions overseas. But for hurting in our cities, would we even cross the street? But we want to see the heart set free and the tyrants kneel. The walls fall down and our land be healed. But church, if we want to see change in the world out there, it's got to start right here. It's got to start right now. Lord, I'm starting right here. Lord, I'm starting right now. You see, it does truly start right here and right now. Right where God is speaking to you is where it starts. Joshua 24, 15, in the message paraphrase, says, if you decide it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose the God you'd rather serve. Do it today. Choose one of the gods of your ancestors that they worship beyond the, the river, one of the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my family, we will worship God. As for me and my house, 
house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and this house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? That's a decision that we've all got to make, to be either hot or cold, but not lukewarm. So I'm going to close this a little bit different this morning. We're going to have communion here in a minute as well. But I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to listen just to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Listen to his voice. There's one of three things. Are you, are you cold? Meaning you do not have a relationship with God. Meaning, have you surrendered your life to him completely? That's the first piece. The second piece is, are you a Christian who is lukewarm? Things are not hot. Things are not cold. And that third piece is, are you hot? Are you zealous for the Lord and engaging in your faith on a daily basis? So that first piece, that cold piece, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So you can do that this morning. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what the scar. It doesn't matter what the sin. It doesn't matter if you've fallen somewhere along the way. There's healing for your life today. And that's through Jesus Christ. You can ask for forgiveness. You confess that Jesus is Lord. You can believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You can do that today. Repenting of the compromise and the corruption that's been dictating your life. So if that's you today, I would ask you to pray something like this. It's just a conversation from your heart to God's. But pray something like this. Dear God, please help. I can't live like this any longer. I confess that Jesus is Lord, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. And because of that, you take me right where I'm at, and I can repent for my sins. Forgive me. I turn from them. And I'm now headed in a new direction starting today. Help me to serve you and to honor you. Help me to be hot, to be zealous for you. And share that hope I have with others. And then we have the lukewarm and the hot. If, if you're sitting here today and, and, and you feel and you've been lukewarm it's time to take care of that. It's, it's asking God to show you where you need to surrender things and, and what you need to put back in its proper order. It's to genuinely just reach out to him. And he'll take you right where you're at as well. So you can be hot for the Lord. You can be zealous. And maybe you are sitting here today and maybe you are hot. Maybe you are zealous. Praise God for that. And to you, I would say, do not become weary in doing good. Keep going. Keep fanning the flame of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't be distracted. So Father God, I, I ask first of all that you would help us and that you would forgive us for being lukewarm. We hear you knocking. We're opening that door and we're saying, come in and dine with us. Come to this table that you prepared for us and help us to boldly make the statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
empower us and use us to bring hope and to be an example of healthy zeal in serving you, that we are seen as genuine followers of Christ. Use us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a little bit of a heavy one, but it's good. It's also good to not be lukewarm. Amen? Amen. This has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.